Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For cables, connectors, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And buy the ham station. Get your new radio or antenna by calling 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live. Yeah, it really is. And it's Wednesday, and it's 8 o'clock, and that's not normal, but um, it's just for this week. But it is time for another episode of Ham Talk Live. It's number 53, Heard Island De-Expedition and Science Research with Dr. Bill Mitchell, A-E-0-E-E. Recorded live Wednesday, February 22nd, 2017. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight we're joined by Dr. Bill Mitchell, AE0EE, who went on the Heard Island expedition and also did scientific research while he was there. So we're going to talk a little bit about the expedition, but we're going to talk some science tonight. And uh, we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week, uh, Fred Reganiter, K4IU, was here to talk about DXing and operating from the Canal Zone and other countries. And if you missed the show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or YouTube. And yeah, tonight we're coming to you a day and an hour earlier because I have to announce a basketball game tomorrow night at at school, and um, it only happens once every other year on Thursday, and so uh, I have to be there for that. So uh, we moved the uh, show up a day and up an hour so we don't conflict with uh, with the Ham Nation people. We'll be done um, in plenty of time uh, if you want to switch over and watch that live. So um, next week we'll be back on our usual Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern schedule. Uh, tonight also marks the beginning of year number two for Ham Talk Live. So thanks again to everyone for listening and participating. And tell your friends about it. Don't be shy when it comes time to call into the show. We'd love to have you participate. So get your questions ready to go after the introduction. You can call us. The telephone number that you'll call uh, whenever we get to that point is 812 Nets Ham one 
That's 812-638-4261. Or you can call us on Skype. Just look for Ham Talk Live on Skype. You can also send questions via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Ham Talk Live. So you can um, tweet us there, and I will get those and pass those along to Bill. So I'll be back with Bill right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's dime store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a Hamfest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and hand Sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Your host, Neil Rapp, would tell you a chemistry joke but he probably wouldn't get a reaction. Now, more Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight to help bring you Ham Talk Live. They'll be at the Dalton, Georgia Ham Fest on Saturday, and they'll be in Cave City, Kentucky next Saturday, or you can give them a call at 920-435-2973, or visit their website at pl-259.com. Tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on HamTalkLive.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen to the archive on the website or download it from most popular podcasting websites. Dr. Mil- Bill Mitchell, AE0EE, was a radio operator on the VK0EK Heard Island de-expedition during March and April of 2016. Um, He was originally licensed in December of 2012 in California as AG6RB and then took the call sign AE0EE in July of 2014. Uh, Bill is most often found on HF and enjoys a mix of CW and sideband, occasionally some digital mode, satellite, and meteor scatter. And uh, for the first 18 months after he was licensed, he primarily operated the... uh, club station W6BB at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, Because he lives in an apartment, he does a lot of portable operations. And uh, when not on the radio, uh, Bill enjoys doing and teaching science. He has a uh, BA in chemistry from Carleton College and a PhD in chemistry from UC Berkeley. And uh, while his primary focus is physical and analytical chemistry, his research has been broad, spanning uh, from organometallic synthesis, kinetics, polymers, to photon photochemistry, atmospheric chemistry, and physics. 
geochemistry and geology, and his dissertation focused on high-precision uranium-lead dating. And the scary thing is, I know what all that meant. So, <laughs> good evening, Bill. Thank you for coming on the show. Good evening. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, congratulations on the uh, anniversary of the uh, show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, been a lot of fun, and um, and that's why I started doing it. So, uh, hopefully, uh, it'll it'll keep being that way and and keep on going. Well, uh, we want you to talk about Heard Island tonight, uh, which uh, it's uh, not quite been a year since uh, since that happened. Um, and tell us a little bit about the trip and what you hope to accomplish uh, by going on that the expedition. Sure, uh, thanks, Neil. Um, yeah, so the uh, I learned about the expedition uh, about uh, three years ago. Uh, and went to my local amateur radio club meeting at the urging of one of my mentors at the time. And the uh, expedition leader for the for Heard Island was talking about a uh, expedition to uh, Clipperton Island that he'd made previously, and started talking about how he wanted to go to Heard Island. And he talked about the the volcano there that was covered in glaciers, and at that he'd already gotten my attention. Uh, he said something about four species of penguins that live on the island, and that really got going. And then he said, oh, and it's also one of the top ten uh, most wanted uh, territories on Earth for uh, amateur radio. And I said, well, that that sounds good, too. Uh, so thought long and hard about whether I wanted to... Uh, uh, was able to join, and after about a year of deliberation, uh, ended up uh, saying, yes, I really want to do this. Uh, so it was uh, it was a big undertaking. Uh, Heard Island, for those of you who aren't aware, is a sub-Antarctic island in the extreme southern Indian Ocean, uh, about halfway between uh, South Africa and Australia, but quite a bit further south. Uh, it was a 12-day voyage at sea to get to the island uh, from Cape Town, and then another 10 days after we left to continue on to uh, Fremantle and Perth in Western Australia. Uh, so there were a lot of different scientific things to do uh, while we were on the expedition. Um, one of the ones that I got into uh, as an amateur birder is looking at some of the Southern Ocean seabirds. Uh, I've participated in the uh, eBird uh, citizen science project where birders will go out, they'll observe and count how many birds of different species they find, and then they'll submit their logs into a centralized database that's used for uh, doing population research. Uh, it's similar to the amateur radio logbook of the world, except it's for birds. Uh, we also uh, deployed some uh, buoys, uh, both surface drifting and some diving buoys uh, for uh, getting a, various, uh, a number of different parameters from the ocean. I took uh, high-resolution panoramic images of some of the geologic features on the island. We sampled rocks and soil and water for a number of environmental science projects, 
Uh, and we also did a little bit of uh, study of some uh, high-frequency electromagnetic propagation, which is what a lot of people uh, contributed financial support to have us uh, do. So that's a little bit of um, some of the science that we did. And get a few QSLs uh, sent out afterwards. <laughs> yeah, there there was there were a few postcards to send confirming contact expedition. That's true. Yeah, just a few. Well, uh, I, I teach chemistry for a living, and and while physical chemistry still still haunts me, uh, analytical chemistry. Uh, was something that I really got into because there were so many connections with ham radio because you know using waves to analyze chemicals just just made total sense to me and so uh, when we got to the electronics part I was like yeah 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 I know this stuff you know this is this is great stuff and uh, did some some research on some NMR and and things like that um, but most people listening tonight probably aren't chemists so while i want to get into that a little bit why don't you explain a little bit about um, some of the um, analysis that you've been able to do with um, the samples that you brought back from herd island okay well i've actually been uh, relatively removed from the the samples that were brought back but I do know that one of the projects that was um, being worked on is figuring out how old some of the lava flows are on Heard Island. Uh, many of the researchers and geologists who've been to the island previously have remarked that the flows look recent. And even for a geologist, recent is a pretty broad definition um, for people who study really old things. A million years might be really recent. Uh, it might even be older than millions or millions of years that people would consider recent. So because so many uh, scientists have remarked on how it looks recent, but we have absolutely no numbers for recent, uh, one of our goals was to collect some samples that could be used to actually determine uh, an age for those recent um, lava flows which are expected to be somewhere around 10,000 years or maybe younger. Um, and the way that that ends up getting uh, done is that uh, the scientists will look for uh, radiogenic, or not radiogenic, cosmogenic uh, isotopes in the rock. So uh, elements with a specific number of protons and neutrons in them that have come because of cosmic radiation hitting that rock. When the lava flow comes out and they're exposed at the surface, that radiation can cause these changes in the rock, and we can then bring that back to the lab and measure it. Uh, and so we grabbed a bunch of samples, and those are now in Tasmania uh, under analysis. Very good. And you mentioned the, um, the bird... Um log book if you will uh, on that um what about the, the uh, buoys and and some of the uh, the um studies from the um the rf that um uh, was being generated there um tell us a little bit about uh what analysis has been done on that and, and any of your findings um that you've been able to get so far 
Sure. Um, so we deployed uh, two types of buoys uh, from the ship uh, because there's a lot of open ocean in the Southern Ocean uh, that isn't very well uh, monitored. It's not like on land where we have lots of weather stations. Uh, out in the open ocean, there's not much going on. Uh, so in order to help uh, weather forecasting and understanding how ocean circulation works, uh, we deployed uh, two different types of buoys. Uh, one type is a surface buoy um, from NOAA, and those uh, track the uh, sea surface temperature, and they also send their position uh, back via a satellite link. And so those are used to monitor the surface currents in the oceans around the world. Uh, and some of our buoys have moved, uh, I think, upwards of 2,500 miles from when we uh, left them in the water. Uh, the other type of buoy that we have are what are called Argo buoys, which are diving buoys. They spend most of their time about one kilometer under the uh, water surface uh, drifting along. But every 10 days, they'll drop down to 2,000 2, meters depth, and they'll then measure the conductivity, the temperature, and the depth all the way up to the surface. Uh, and that allows uh, researchers an in, some insights into how the temperature and uh, salinity change uh, in sort of a three-dimensional view over the ocean. Uh, originally, that was of particular importance for hiding submarines, uh, but it's also useful to see where water is mixing, how the uh, oceans are changing uh, in our current climate. Um, and I have a little bit of information on some of those Argo uh, diving buoys uh, posted on my blog, uh, inquisitiverockhopper.wordpress.com. Very good, and we'll uh, we'll send that out uh, a link to that too, so people can find that easily. Um, and then uh, the RF. Yeah, the the RF was a, a fun part. Uh, it's incredible being at the uh, uh, far end of a very wanted, um, very wanted uh, territory. Uh, there were a lot of people who wanted to make contacts with us. Uh, we made uh, over 75,000 contacts uh, on uh, both on voice, mostly on uh, Morse code, and a few on radio teletype. Uh, and that was with uh, all, country, uh, all continents of the world. Uh, we even had one, uh, one contact with one of the Antarctic research bases, uh, which was a fun, fun contact to make. We ended up having both the our expedition leader and the station manager of that station uh, having a short conversation with each other, which was pretty memorable. Very good. Good deal. Um, so how did you find time to do all the research and keep up with your uh, shifts on the de-expedition and, and keep everything running? Yeah, well, I, I didn't get a lot of sleep is the short answer. Uh, but the, the longer answer uh, is that uh, it was possible because we spent months and years uh, planning for the expedition. So I joined about 18 months uh, before we 
departed. So I joined in September of 2014. And even by that time, I'd been thinking about it and reading about it for the better part of a year. Uh, after that additional 18 months of planning and research, uh, much of the expedition was choreographed and prioritized. So we had procedures written out that even a tired, frustrated expedition member uh, could carry out, uh, and they could use the checklist so that they would get things done right and get things done efficiently, uh, because you don't want to waste time dealing with stupid problems that if you would manage to do uh, if you were more awake or if you... And we didn't want to have to think about anything that we didn't need to have to think about on the island. And it was a challenge at times to get everything done. We did have to uh, sort of prioritize which things get done and which things don't. And uh, I would have loved to do more of the gigapan images and to get more birding in on the island and take more pictures. But there were only so many hours in the day, and the generators needed refilling, and the antennas needed to be kept up. And uh, I also was part of the uh, social media team, keeping things uh, going with social media and keeping court in touch with the mission control team back in the Bay Area. Uh, we had, as part of the permitting, uh, process. We had to provide uh, daily reports to the Australian Antarctic Division, uh, who is the uh, permitting authority, uh, to let them know how we were doing and what we were up to. Uh, and so all of those things took time. But when you're when you're out there, it's it's a real rush to be there, and so you want to stay awake for for a lot of it, but get sleep when you need to, uh, so that you can actually function well yeah, i'm sure that's a challenge and actually uh, it's bringing to mind um what i kind of envisioned for a lot of the uh outer space missions that you know everything's on a checklist and everything's you know uh kind of set and ready to go so that you know you you do just you know the minimal amount of deployment that you can do uh, to make sure you get everything and get it safely back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've got, you typically have a lot of time before the expedition goes, and that's when you need to make sure that you have plans for how's, uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when plan A doesn't work or when something fails? Uh, who's going to be doing what? Uh, what are the likely scenarios you're going to encounter? Everything that you can document or go through beforehand, uh, you want to make sure is done and is dealt with. Uh, because, again, you don't want to expend any more energy on things while you're out in the field than you need to. So the more, more you can plan ahead of time, the more that you can put the work of the expedition into uh, the planning side rather than on island, the more time that you have to do the science and to uh, the documentation that you want to do. All excellent and interesting stuff. And so we're going to give the listeners a chance to ask some questions here in just a little bit. So 
Um, I'll be back to take your calls after this message from the Ham Station right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by The Ham Station. For over 37 years, The Ham Station has sold new and used radios, antennas, accessories, and equipment to hams everywhere. Give Dan or Jeff a call at 800-729-4373 or order online at hamstation.com. Ham Station carries all the major brands like Icom, Yezu, and Kenwood, and they have a wide selection of radio scanners, MFJ accessories, Heil Sound products, amplifiers by Mirage and Ameritron, Kushcraft antennas, and more. Easy online ordering is at hamstation.com or call 1-800-729-4373 to place an order and talk it over with the experts. The Ham Station, proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Oh yeah, you're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. All right, thanks to the ham station, they have you covered for both new and even used equipment, and you can try it out right there. Uh, give Dan or Jeff a call at 800-729-4373, or go to hamstation.com. Tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live, and also a reminder that uh, we're going to be doing our live audience show again on Hamvention Eve. Uh, that's going to be at the Spring Hill Suites, Dayton, South, Miamisburg. And they still have a few rooms remaining. So if you haven't made a hotel reservation for Hamvention this year, uh, you can reserve your rooms now at Marriott.com or call 888-850-6391. Spring Hill Suites, Dayton, South, Miamisburg is the Hamvention home for Ham Talk Live. Be sure to listen to Ham Talk Live at our normal time. That's Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on HamTalkLive.com. And check out our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. Just search for Ham Talk Live. So it's time for your calls. If you have a question for Bill, give us a call right now at 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us or account there is at ham talk live and you can tweet us at ham talk live and i think um, bill even made up a hashtag of uh, herd questions so uh you can uh, you can get us that way too so if you have a question about any of the science or any of the uh, uh the expedition stuff from herd island give us a call 812 net ham one is the number so um, while we're waiting to see if we have any uh, callers that, that uh, know that we're on a day early here, um, tell us a little bit about some of the environmental restrictions, some of the concerns that uh, you had going into Heard Island that um, you know they don't want the, the environment disrupted any more than necessary. Tell us a little bit about um, the concerns and, and some of those uh, restrictions for going there and living there for a couple of weeks and, and taking the samples. Sure. Uh, well, Heard Island is 
a UNESCO World Heritage Site and is designated that way both for its uh, unique geology, being a hotspot-type volcanic island at a place that may have some remnant continental crusts underneath it, uh, and also for its unique ecosystem. Uh, Heard Island, unlike all of the other uh, sub-Antarctic islands, uh, was never uh, infested with any sort of uh, human-introduced species, at least not that anybody is aware of. Uh, There are some grasses that have probably been introduced from Kerguelen Island uh, that may have been brought over by birds, so there are some potentially invasive species on island, uh, and we had to take special precaution and had special permitting requirements around that. Um, it's also a an IUCN uh, strict nature reserve, and that means that there is a lot um, that's being done. There's a very detailed plan about the management of the island, and so it has... This management plan talks about what biosecurity requirements you need to have in order to access the island. So in order to get on the island, you need to have a rodent-free ship, and it needs to be certified rodent-free. You need to use uh, various measures to make sure that there are no rodents to be introduced, Um You need to have traps set up both on the island and on the ship. They need to be monitored. Um, You also have to uh, clean off your... Everything needs to be thoroughly cleaned before it goes on the island. Uh, Boots need to be cleaned. The tents had to be cleaned. All the gear had to be either new or pristine. Um, And there were thorough inspections as we were loading the ship to make sure that everything was going to be clean and that the environment would not be at risk from our expedition. Um, Once you get there, it's a leave-no-trace situation. Uh, And that goes all the way to uh, packing out uh, solid wastes. So all solid waste gets packed out. Uh, Liquid waste of certain types can be... uh, disposed of below the high tide line, uh, but generally everything got put back into um, containers and brought back to the ship uh, for transport on to uh, Australia. So that was it was challenging to uh, meet those protections, but when you think about how uh, important scientifically that ecosystem is, uh, all of those protections are are quite reasonable, and it's in line with the sort of protections uh, that are in place in Antarctica and other high-value ecosystems. Very good. 812-NET-TAM-1 is the phone number, 812-638-4261. If you have a question, give us a call or give us a a Skype call or a tweet. Just look for Ham Talk Live. Um, What was your favorite part of the trip? Well, there there were a lot of uh, a lot of favorite uh, parts of the trip. Um, one of the favorite um, radio moments came in the first 
first couple days. Um, the the first day that we were on the island, we set up the tents, we set up a few of the antennas, uh, we put the camp together, uh, and then went to bed exhausted. Uh, although even though we were exhausted, we still had uh, each of us had a one-hour radio shift through the night, so we were on the radio uh, 24 or all hours through that first night. Uh, the next day, uh, we were working on putting up more antennas, since all of our antennas were good only at night. So we put up more antennas, and late in the afternoon, we uh, it was time to get back on the air on the lower bands again. And so I managed to be the person to get, get on the air, and I was a little bit daunted by that as one of the, the less experienced amateur radio operators, knowing that I would be coming up against a very, very uh, busy uh, time. So I sat down in the chair, got all set up, uh, called, who, you know, who wants to come, come talk to Hurt Island? And on the very first call, I get get a response from Kilo Six Sierra Romeo Zulu, and get uh, get him in the log right away. And it was kind of funny because not only did I get a response on the very first call from a nice loud station, but I actually know Dr. Eshelman uh, from my time in Berkeley. Uh, and I found out later that evening after my shift was over that it turned out that that was the uh, last of the 340 uh, countries and territories around the world that he was looking for to get the complete set. So it was fun that my first contact of the of the day and uh, was then on the first call was someone that I knew, and for his uh, for his last of the 340 territories. Very nice. Very nice. What are some other, uh, some of the other favorite moments there? Well, it was also kind of fun. Uh, while we were on the ship, um, we had quite a bit of time to, uh, sit and watch the scenery. Uh, and one morning I got up and, uh, we were, we were welcome to go onto the uh, bridge to see what was going on and uh, spend time uh, with the officer of the watch up there. Uh, so I went up and one morning just to see what was going on and was told, "Oh, we've got some dolphins off of our bow." So I got to go out, go out on deck and take a look as these dolphins were just playing around right in our bow wave, just inches from the. Uh, from the ship, so it was fun to see those. Uh, it was also a lot of fun to to see these new uh, new to me uh, seabirds, uh, and it it made me feel uh, it was a very tough uh, time identifying the birds because as a Minnesota and California resident, I had was not familiar with uh, my Southern Ocean seabirds. Uh, albatrosses were completely new to me, uh, and so it was a challenge uh, looking at the birds and trying to pick out the distinguishing marks, uh, particularly given that some of the Southern Ocean seabirds are known for being very difficult to distinguish 
uh, sometimes even difficult to distinguish if you have them right there in your hand, uh, which I didn't. They they like to move quickly and stay just far enough away from the camera to make it hard to get pictures of them. 812-NET-TAM-1 is the phone number, 812-638-4261. And uh, we'll keep on talking here while we're waiting for your calls. Um, so go ahead and give us a call whenever you want, and we'll uh, we'll get you in here. Um, now tell us a little bit about your, your blog and, and some of the um, data. We've mentioned a, a little bit of uh, some of the things that are available there on your blog. Um, so talk a l- little bit about um, some of this uh, data that's openly available for people to see on there. Sure. Uh, yeah. So one of the uh, purposes of the, the blog that I have, and that's uh, inquisitiverockhopper.wordpress.com, uh, one of the purposes is to uh, help me uh, make sure that I do do the reading to know what's going on on Heard Island, but then I try and share that uh, with my readers, as well as looking at some of the current events that are visible by satellite on Heard Island. So earlier this month, on February 4th, uh, Landsat 8, which is one of the U.S. uh, Earth-observing satellites, uh, flew over Heard Island and was taking images in a number of different uh, wavelengths or colors. Uh, And I've been watching these images for quite a while. I took a look at this one, and it was really incredible because we had in the image uh, some visible lava or debris flows at the summit of the uh, volcano. And when I looked at the infrared bands, it was clear that there was at least an active eruption uh, or there was at least hot material at the surface near the summit and also what I interpret as an uh, active lava flow at the time as this satellite flew over. Uh, so that was a really interesting thing to see, and I've been looking at some of that as well as uh, sharing a little bit about how to find the images and how to uh, process the images uh, using some software called QGIS, uh, which is pretty neat. Um, I also did a little bit of modeling uh, of an interesting problem with uh, some of the seabirds. I'd taken pictures of, four, I had four or five pictures of uh, birds that I'd taken from a flock of about 40. And it was expected to be a mixed species flock, and all four of the photos were of one species. And I wanted to, which was expected to be the uh, less frequent species. So I wanted to know how many of those were, could I statistically say, were in the, uh, were in that flock, uh, and ended up doing some computer modeling to figure out how much, how many I could definitively say, or at least justifiably say, were in that. Um, And it was about half of them. And I guess I would also be uh, remiss to uh, point out that 
some of what I've talked about on the blog and I talk about on Twitter is, of course, the gratuitous penguin pictures. Uh, there are four different species of penguins that uh, breed on Heard Island. Uh, king penguins, Gentoo penguins, uh, macaroni penguins, though I feel like if they had a, uh, a radio microphone or a Morse code key in their hand, they might be a Marconi penguin. There we go. <laughs> uh, and uh, my personal favorite, the southern rockhopper penguin. Uh, so all four of those breed on the island, and we were able to find uh, penguins of each of those species. Uh, the rockhoppers were a little bit tricky to find because they they like to stay on well, pretty rocky places and in lava tubes and in places that humans have trouble getting to, either because it's just physically difficult to access or because uh, much of the island has uh, significant uh, protections. So even though we were a scientific expedition, uh, there were a number of places that the permit said, uh, you are not to go here because there are lava tubes that might be underfoot that could collapse, or there are sensitive uh, bird areas. And the scientific activities that you've proposed don't require you to be there, so don't go there. Yeah, very good. And we uh, just tweeted out the uh, link to the um, to the blog that you're mentioning, the inquisitiverockhopper.wordpress.com, and I'll get that out on Facebook here right after the show. Uh, but that's on Twitter right now, so you can uh, go take a look at that uh, at your leisure. And uh, we're just about out of time here, so uh, any uh, closing thoughts you want to get in? We've got about a minute left. All right, yeah. Well, this this was really a, a wonderful expedition to be part of. It was great to have so much uh, support from the community uh, throughout the process, both uh at the front end and then while we were on island uh and then it was fun hearing from folks even on the radio as we were on the ship on the way home made a few contacts there and had a lot of people um uh, who were clearly looking looking out for us so it was really wonderful to be part of the expedition and it's been a, a great time learning about the science and history of herd island so thanks neil for the invitation to be here on the show Oh, well, thank you for coming on. We uh, we really appreciate you sharing uh, all the science behind the Heard Island uh, de-expedition and a little bit about uh, the operations as well. And uh, hope that uh, you'll continue sharing uh, some of that stuff, and we'll be looking for that on your blog. All right. Sounds good. Thanks very much. All right. That is... Dr. Bill Mitchell, A-E-0-E-E, and that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Dr. Bill Mitchell, A-E-0-E-E, and everyone out there in cyberspace for listening. And uh, we invite you back at our usual time next week, Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And our guest is going to be Michael Coulter, W-H-C-I. He's the spokesperson for the Dayton Hamvention, and he's going to be here to update us on all the new things happening with the new site of the Dayton Hamvention and uh, some of the things that uh, have happened even just this week, uh, some of the uh, 
online functions have uh, come on and and they're making some uh, moves. So uh, we'll get the official word from him next week and you can call in and uh, ask your questions right here at 812-NET-HAM-1. Um, and may have some uh, other folks from DARA with him as well. We're still uh, trying to work that out, but uh, we know that uh, Michael's going to be here, and then uh, we'll be back on again um, a little before the Hamvention um, to, to fill us in on everything. So uh, we look forward to that next week, and we'll be back at our usual Thursday at 9 p.m. For a list of all of our upcoming guests, be sure to visit hamtalklive.com. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Seven three and good luck from Ham Talk Live.